Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. This is Preacher Bill Gilliland at First Christian Church, right here in Covington, Virginia, and we're thankful that you have joined us this morning as we come to you with God's Word, the good news of Jesus. We're thankful for the continuing ministry at First Christian Church and also for the ministry of all of the area churches in our surrounding area because we we know that the Lord wants us to continue to spread the good news. This is the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the story of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, I started a series of messages about the church. Uh, several weeks ago, I was asked to join in the National Day of Prayer service down in front of City Hall. And in that prayer, I prayed for the church, and I made some acknowledgments that every Christian and every local congregation of believers should take to heart. And I decided that those acknowledgments were very true and very pertinent to the continuation of the Lord's church here on earth. The acknowledgment that we looked at last week that came from that prayer for the church was, Father, we acknowledge today that the church is still the family of God, brothers and sisters and members of the household of faith. And you know it's true, dear friends, that God is our heavenly Father. He wants us to refer to him in that way. And we are family. As a church, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a part of the brotherhood of believers. And the Lord chose for that idea for us to relate to him as we do to our own individual families. So that's very important. In spite of COVID-19 and the, the two years of pandemic that we have suffered through, the church is still the family of God. God hasn't changed his mind about the purpose for his church. Now, another acknowledgement that I had in that prayer was this. Father, we acknowledge today that the church is still the kingdom of God on earth for which Christ prayed and through which your will can be accomplished down here on earth. And that's what I would like to emphasize this morning, uh, dear friends, that the church is still the kingdom of God on earth. Let's consider that the Lord's church is the kingdom. Now, it is referred to as the kingdom of God. In other places, it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Christ or sometimes just referenced as the kingdom. And most of those phrases just pretty much relate to the same idea that we are the kingdom of God here on this earth until Jesus comes back to claim us and to take us home. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It's true, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and we are that kingdom. 
as believers in Jesus, as members of the household of faith, it's a kingdom. It's the Lord's kingdom here on earth. There have been many kingdoms in the history of this world. I was reading the illustration that the famous writer named Ernest Hemingway, uh, who wrote some very important books like For Whom the Bells Toll and The Old Man and the Sea. Uh, Ernest Hemingway had a brother named Leicester. And in 1964, Leicester decided to form his own kingdom. He built an 8 by 30 foot floating bamboo platform that he anchored with a Ford engine block seven miles off the coast of Jamaica. And when the reporters heard about this, they visited his kingdom, and he told them, I can stand on this platform, I can walk around it, I can salute my own flag, and there are no taxes here. Because taxes are for people not smart enough to start their own kingdom, <clears throat> their own countries. Now, unfortunately for Hemingway, his kingdom crumbled. Some fishermen destroyed it looking for scrap wood, and the rest of that platform sank in a storm. Now, I know that sounds like a humorous story. As far as I know, though, it's a true story. Hemingway built a kingdom that crumbled and sank beneath the waves. And, you know, down through the years, the ages, other men have built kingdoms that have ultimately crumbled and sank into the dustbin of history. Some of those kingdoms were the kingdom of Babylon, or the Medes and the Persians, or the Greeks, or the Romans. And these are kingdoms that are referred to in our history books. There have been others. But you know, God vowed that he would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed nor would that kingdom ever be left to another people. It would always be his kingdom. And so this morning, as we talk about the church being the kingdom of God, I need to take us back to the Old Testament, <clears throat> where there is a beautiful picture of what God intended for the church to be. And that's in Daniel chapter 2 where a young Jewish man named Daniel is in exile in Babylon under the rule of the powerful Nebuchadnezzar. Young Daniel, along with thousands of his fellow Jews, had been transported to Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, one night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and the dream was about a statue a huge statue he saw. There were four different parts, a head of gold, chest of arms and silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet partly iron and partly clay. And as he looked and, and saw this statue, he looked and saw that a rock was hewn out of the mountain. The Bible says, not by human hands. And that rock rolled down the mountain and shattered that statue. Uh, this dream upset Nebuchadnezzar, and he called for the Babylonian wise men that he had appointed to come 
and help him to interpret that dream, and they, they couldn't help. And finally, Daniel, who was blessed by God, was given the privilege and the opportunity to interpret this dream. And so he went before Nebuchadnezzar, and he began to talk to Nebuchadnezzar about the dream that he'd had. In verses 34 and 35 of Daniel chapter 2, the Bible says, While you were watching, Nebuchadnezzar, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. In verse 35, Daniel says, The rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And then, after Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar what he had seen, he began to interpret the dream. And he explained to King Nebuchadnezzar, the four parts of the statue were four kingdoms that would be in the history of the world, starting with Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon, and then the Medo-Persian kingdom, and then the Greek kingdom, remember Alexander the Great, and then the Roman kingdom. And that Roman kingdom would eventually be divided up as an empire with several different kings. And then in verses 44 and 45, Daniel says this to King Nebuchadnezzar, in the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And of course, the significance of those last verses that I read, in the time of those kings, those Roman kings, as the Roman Empire began to break up and became disunited, during that time, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom, his own kingdom, that would never be destroyed. And he would use that rock to become a mountain and fill the whole earth. Of course, we know that God in the last days of the Roman Empire set up his church, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and it was the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock, our rock, you know, no wonder the Jews were looking for a Messiah who would establish Israel as a world empire. They wanted a kingdom that would take control of the whole world to, to bring Israel back to the status they'd had in the time when David was king. And then Jesus came into the world, and he began to teach that the kingdom of heaven was near. Isn't that interesting? And his teachings were broad about the kingdom. In fact, 
That word was used over and over and over again by Jesus to identify what was going to soon happen. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we call that one of Jesus' greatest teachings. That sermon was full of the word kingdom and kingdom teaching. Now, I need to tell you that the word, this word, this biblical word kingdom, is the most popular word in Scripture that pictures this body of believers, the church, if you will, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the idea of a kingdom relevant to people today? Well, we don't use the word too much. We don't hear the word too much anymore. We don't use the word empire that much anymore either. But this significant word kingdom is still relevant and still very important. And one of those reasons is because Jesus made it important. And in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught, you remember he gave the model prayer. Sometimes we identify it as the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he ended that prayer, you remember, by saying, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yours is the kingdom. And then if we were to read on in Matthew, we would come to Matthew 13, where Jesus taught what's referred to as the kingdom parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower who went out to sow. Kingdom of heaven is, is, a, is about weeds that were planted in the, in the same field as the good plants. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the tiniest seed that became a tree that birds could come and nest in. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast and a treasure that's hidden in a field and a pearl of great price. And Jesus was teaching with each of these parables what was going to take place when his church was founded on this earth. In Matthew 16, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, you remember, and he began to ask his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they responded, some say you're John the Baptist or uh, one of the prophets. He says, but who do you say I am? And you remember it was Peter. Simon Peter, who in verse 16 of Matthew 6 is recorded as saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' reply to him was, the the Lord gave you that answer, Peter. It's true. Upon this rock, upon this fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In verse 19, he said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's the church, but it's also the kingdom of heaven. You're going to open, you're going to shut. Now, the emphasis that Jesus placed on this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God ultimately gave his enemies opportunity to have him executed. And that's ironic And that's interesting because the Romans didn't want to hear about any kingdom other than the one they had. 
So when it came time for the Jewish leaders to find something they could use to have Jesus crucified, they realized that anything that threatened the Roman Caesar would come to an end. And so they arrested Jesus, charged him with treason, because he said he was the king and would build a kingdom. And in John chapter 18, the gospel of John chapter 18, we see Jesus taken before Pilate, the Roman judge. And Pilate begins to talk to Jesus. And of course, he wanted to know if Jesus was a king. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And in John 18, 36 and 37, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is, not, is from another place. And in verse 37, uh, Pilate replies and says, You are a king then. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And it was then that Pilate replied and said, what is truth? But Jesus references uh, much here when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's from another place. We know and we often refer to the fact that as members of the Lord's kingdom or church, we're in the world, but we're not of the world because the kingdom is based in heaven we're just here on a short mission. Let's briefly consider this word kingdom that's found in the scriptures over and over again. The Greek word is basilia, and it literally points to a, a territory or a people over whom a king rules. Um, this not of this world kingdom, as Jesus referred to it, is different from all other kingdoms. And uh, most of the people listening to my voice are Christians, probably members of a church. Uh, every kingdom has to have three things, at least. Has to have a king, has to have people or, or citizens, and it has to have a territory over which the kingdom rules. And, and the Lord's church has all three of those things. You see, our king is what is referred to in Revelation 19 and verse 16, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Jesus. The king, the Greek word for king is, is Basilius. He's the king over the kingdom. And there's just so many scriptures that point to Jesus as the king in the Old Testament, the coming king. Remember what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7? Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. Very important scripture. Speaking of Jesus as the king. You remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem looking for Jesus, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And then a kingdom has to have people, citizens. Um, and Paul writes in Philippians 3.20 and tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. 
we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus left this world, he went back to heaven. That's where the headquarters are, right? He sits at the right hand of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We read that scripture last week with the word household, which is a family term. But we're citizens as well of, of the greatest kingdom that's ever, ever known. And then every kingdom has to have a territory. What are the boundaries of Jesus' kingdom? Um, the central place that Jesus rules is in the hearts of his people. Now we have, we have boundaries where we say the local church serves 15 or 20 mile radius or even more, you know, and those are our local congregations, our church families, if you will. But the central place of Christ's rule is in the hearts of every believer. Jesus was questioned about the kingdom in Luke 17, verses 20 through 21. They asked him about the kingdom. Uh, when would the kingdom come? And Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's, it's like Paul said in Ephesians 3.17, Christ needs to dwell in our hearts by faith. In Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The change comes on the inside, and that's where the rule takes place the reigning of Jesus. You see, there's no conquering. There's no conquering in this, this kingdom thing except what the good news does within us, in the hearts of people. That's why we sow the seeds of the gospel. We spread the good news because the change <clears throat> has to come within the heart of every individual. And there are no weapons in this kingdom except spiritual weapons. In 2 Corinthians 6, 7, Paul writes and says, we fight with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. And 2 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. These are the great weapons that we fight with. They're not physical weapons. We're not... Jesus never intended for his kingdom to have an army that destroyed people. Uh, he, he, he wanted to save people. He wanted to change people. He wanted to make people the way God wanted them to be. In Colossians 1, 12 and 13, Paul wrote and said, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And he is the head of the body, the church. You see, the church is still the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. That's true. When Nicodemus approached Jesus to learn more about him, that's in, recorded in John chapter 3, the same place where that passage John three sixteen is. You know, 
Nicodemus asked Jesus about him, and, and Jesus said in verses 3 and 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus said, how can someone be born when they're old? They can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the spirit. You see, once again, it's a different kingdom, this kingdom of Christ, the church. We have to be changed on the inside and let Jesus reign and rule within us. My friend, are you born again? Uh, have you been born of the water and the spirit? Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Is he the king of your life? Are you willing today to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I don't want to be in this dominion of darkness. I want to be in the kingdom of light. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be one of your people, your soldiers, your citizens. I want to do your will. I, I hope that if you haven't made that decision, that you'll make it today. Become a part of the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for our time today just to look into your word. We're thankful for this kingdom that you built on your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We crown him today with a royal diadem. We want him to rule and reign in our hearts and lives and in our world. He's the only one that can make our world what it needs to be. Just bless us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.